0: everyone welcome to hope, hopefully the last episode of just this series not the last episode of matriarch motivation which welcome to welcome to matriarch motivation this is a podcast i developed to start showcasing a new voice for motivating and inspiring women i myself am a very avid listener of the male-dominated motivational speech venue and world Such as Tony Robbins, Andy Frisilla, I keep forgetting to mention um, David Goggins, who I recently read his book, Can't Hurt Me, and it blew me away. I highly recommend it to anyone who believes in leveling up their life and fighting hard and uh, being a thriver instead of just a fucking pathetic survivor. Um, And Andy Frisilla and Jocko Wilnick, all huge inspirations to me, but not women. And if you're watching this on YouTube, instead of listening to it on um, Spotify or Google or Anchor, we might get just interrupted by a cat crawling into what it thinks is a place it's allowed to sit on my lap. We'll uh, we'll see how this goes. You just politely find its seat. So um, I am someone who has come from a background of really drastically changing my life and listening to other people inspire me and set an example and be my guide um, is a huge part of my path. So in that path, um, I found that there was a huge absence of very big gap in women expressing what motivates them. And although yes, there are some incredible speeches by some, by many incredible women such as Michelle Obama, Oprah, Um, even, uh, I believe, uh, Jennifer Hathaway. There's, there's been quite a few women, um, Emma, ooh, that Hermione girl from Harry Potter. I, I feel embarrassed that I don't recognize that, that I can't list their names right off. Anyway, there, there have been many strong, powerful women contributors and their voices to, the movement of women finding their power and our power is so different than what where and how men find their power i believe women dig deep within themselves and have a strength of emotional and spiritual tenacity that is very unique to our gender and When I listen to many of the career motivational speakers that are women, I often get lost in, or get turned away from listening to those speeches because many of them are based in faith and based in um, believing in the universe and some sort of exterior or higher power where I have a very deep sense of internal power And I really believe that women miss out on being guided through the amount of capability they have to grow and change and be a ferocious force in their own lives, as well as the lives and ecosystems around them from simply looking within. And that's where I find my power a lot of the time. And I want to be a voice that promotes that. So this is what uh, matriarch motivation is for. As for the uh, beginning intro five-part series, which was supposed to be four but is now five, um, I am sharing my surrogacy journey. So I am currently proudly and happily four months pregnant as of today, October 31st, 2020, um, with a baby girl for the intended parents who are a um, beautiful male couple located in France. And I am on the other side of the world in the West coast of Canada. And my journey has been incredible and I am proud of it. And I've been told by quite a few people that I should share that journey. And uh, I I was scared of many things in sharing that journey. Um, the vulnerability it would take, the honesty it would take, um, and mistakes i've made throughout and the hardships and the pain i've been through in order to get here cuz this journey started with um ovarian having ovarian cyst ruptures starting in November of 2018 and now me having a very toxic story a spiritual story that i told myself about um not having continued my my legacy, my biological legacy and not having more children and that being the reason I was having ovarian ruptures, And the journey it took for me to change that story and to find um, a, a powerful path that I carved for myself and to design that future for myself and decide who I wanted to be in this situation, which is a power we all have and many of us are not utilizing. So uh, who who am I? I am Julia, I'm the founder of Pretty Aggressive Industries. Uh, hopefully, I, I won't go through this all again. I'm not sure how long this part of the story is gonna take, and I'd like it to be the last, the last um, part of this series. So if you're listening to this one for the first time, go back and listen to the other ones. Um, first, I'm the founder of Pretty Aggressive Industries, and I help people learn to live beyond their damage and thrive in their life instead of just survive, because that's bullshit so um we left off with uh covid in the last uh last episode covid hitting hitting surrogacy (laughs) and what that looks like for me and the the opportunity i saw in covid um from starting in march of 2020 here in canada on the west coast and what that looks like for the surrogacy journey i was on so we left off where in may um, the fertility clinic that does the embryo transfers and medical screening opened up and started taking non-essential appointments again, uh, embryo transfers being non-essential. So as we got the green light on that, um, the journey got really serious really fast. Um, one, I was uh, dating someone who agreed after me explaining to them what was going to start happening Um that they would join me on this journey. So, um, and then the amount of hormones I needed to start putting in my body was shocking. I did not, I, I had it explained to me that I would be on progesterone, progesterone and estrogen and that at some point um, prednisone to lower my immune system would be part of the journey But I did not fully, I don't think we can ever fully comprehend what things like that are going to do to us and change our lives. So as I was um, told to begin begin my prescription medications for making my body way more female than I've ever wanted it to be, um, we were all very excited. So the intended parents and I were very in a very celebratory mood, and so for the the start of June, I was uh, instructed to start putting estrogen patches on on and around my my lower abdomen, and then soon after that, um, getting up to the uh, up to the booked. Uh, embryo transfer appointment, I had to start using vaginal suppositories of um, progest- progesterone, so that my uterus would get signaled that it needs to start preparing itself for pregnancy. So usually this doesn't happen until you're already pregnant, but our the intention of an embryo transfer, this um, this this fertility treatment, was to do as many things to the female body to encourage it to keep a foreign pregnancy so what's actually going inside my body is technically foreign substance sperm and also a foreign egg so the surrogacy that i'm participating in i believe that the company that i go with proud fertility is not Uh, does not participate in non-gestational surrogacy. So it being a gestational surrogacy means it's someone else's egg, um, as well as obviously someone else's sperm. And it's transferred into my body as a full embryo. So they've already connected and started that that journey. Um, And these are held in storage at the fertility clinic and at the end of june after preparing my uterus where i need to go in and have them do a lining check to make sure my uterus is building a lining thick and cozy enough for this embryo to be transferred into my body um you know all of these hormonal changes kind of slowly start in my body as it thinks it's getting pregnant so yes my breasts are changing and my hormones are changing mind you um i i don't react strongly to extra hormones i'm a emotionally stable person in general which i believe comes from a lot of mind management which i've developed um strategically over the years through my recovery from um the toxic legacy that i was a part of and uh that um the excitement of the almost like a daily video sharing with the intended parents of how are you and how are you feeling and how's it going and what's up and rest and relax and oh my gosh And um, one of the greatest things about the journey, um, like God bless technology, they're halfway across the world and we just look at time zones and do our best to connect is that on the days that I would go for appointments, um, they would spend the time, the the timing that it would take for me to um, leave my house and travel all the way to the mainland and then get to the clinic and then be at the clinic and the, the results and response I would get from the doctor and then on my journey home, they would, they would block the time to be accessible to me so that any concerns I had um, or my experience, just going and arriving and then going through the appointment and leaving, that they were there for me. And it actually like almost brings tears to my eyes that that was um, the the bond I had built with the intended parents that they were literally just waiting on the, it felt like they were waiting on the other end of their phone throughout my entire day, just to check in, just to chat. Um, And to have the strong feeling that they wished they were at my side. They wished they could have joined me for all of it in person. And it meant so much to me. So I want I want them to know that it um I think I know that that's the experience they were wanting me to have and the experience they were wanting to have and it it turned out that way so um and so the lining check happens a few days before an embryo transfer and on the day of the embryo transfer um so I kind of had um, like a series, it was also a month of understanding I was about to get pregnant. So doing many things like, you know, having that extra glass of wine in the evenings and maybe having that, you know, enjoying that one cigarette on the weekend to before, um, getting to an embryo transfer to be before becoming pregnant and knowing the exact day of conception and, um, implantation, you know, was a very, um, was a very interesting experience and very, very celebratory. And then also the experience of um, friends asking me what I'm up to and how my life is going and for me to share with people that I'm on a surrogacy journey. And man, the fucked up questions that people will ask. Um, I You know, early, early, very early for a short amount of time, I was slightly frustrated and angry with people, but I very quickly between expressing my frustration and looking at who I wanted to be in those situations to learn to become an educator, um, to not be angry with people and to not be offended because no thank you. I have better things to do than be offended. Um if you get offended by shit, I think you should take a look at that. Um, that's your own garbage, not other people's, and uh sort that yourself. Um that I becoming an educator about it. So one of the most random interesting questions I would get is, oh, so are you going to breastfeed? Like what? Um, how, how far off and how minute of a detail? Like, yes, I believe in breastfeeding a child for as long as you can, that that is the healthiest um, process to bring a child through. But there's many people who are completely well-formed and highly functional adults who, um, have not been breastfed. And so there's, there's so many well-survived children that have, that that's not even a thing that they got to do. Um, two, that is a very personal question and none of your fucking business. (laughs) And three, there's also many people who have been breastfed who are completely retarded. So let's just, (laughs) I, I'm not sure I, you know, I guess I should try to put myself in other people's shoes, because that's the responsible thing to do, that if, if someone else was a surrogate, would I ask that? Um, and also from a point of view of those people care, those people know that many people are attached to that, women find that very important, um, and that that might be something I'm concerned about. Do Will I get to breastfeed? And sure, it's been a question in my mind. Um... But we'll get there when we get there. Like those are not the, those are not the initial pressing conversations um, in a surrogacy. <laughs> so just if you're if you're needing to be educated on that, um, one, that's none of your business. Two, um, that's not the most pressing topic in, before I'm even pregnant with the surrogacy, <laughs> before I've even been implanted with an embryo. I'm not thinking about that. Um, you know, put put first things first, right? So um as I kind of briefly mentioned in the In the last episode, I went to the embryo transfer, I believe, in like late June, June 24th. So it had to match with like my ovulation cycle. And I had started taking um, a lot of, I started having lots of hormones on and in my body. And at the time, it didn't change my body a lot. But I could tell certainly that um, due to my training, my gym training schedule, and what I was eating. That um, it was preventing um, fat percentage loss, which is something that I so I wasn't getting soft, I wasn't gaining weight, but I could see that it was affecting my my uh, ability to have control of my body's um, you know physique and and form. So attending the first embryo transfer was beautiful. It was a beautiful experience, though odd. So, kind of everything up until the actual transfer was wonderful. Um, I took the liberty of going to sushi uh, for kind of like a late breakfast, early lunch down the road from the fertility clinic and stuffing my face full of as much raw fish as possible and kind of having the intended parents join me in that experience. So we were texting back and forth and sending photos of of my journey and like the seaplane ride or the ferry ride, I can't remember which I took, Um, and sitting in the waiting room and what book I was reading while I was waiting. And then um, being able to actually take my phone in with me like I I took photos of me in my my medical gown um which I had to wear like one of those funny hats and um the you know I had to drink tons of water for some reason my bladder can hold way more water than a normal woman's bladder so I had to chug water and wait until my bladder was so full um for it to like press and maneuver my uterus and cervix in a certain way so that they could, Um, implant the embryo and to be like, keep getting up and going to check my my bladder fullness and then having to go back and sit down in the waiting and having to go back and like leave my phone and the nurses are trying to talk to me and all I'm doing is texting with the intended parents. I'm sure they think I'm just the worst millennial, but they were with me. They were with me the whole time. And um, then to have this extremely clinical experience um, one, I was told I was allowed to bring my phone in so I could actually text on my phone with the intended parents as I was having their embryo implanted into my body. so getting pregnant with them. And I joked with them. I was like, this is not exactly what I like to be wearing um, while getting while trying to get pregnant. Um, I usually picture myself in beautiful lingerie. So the medical gown was um, and the medical, you know the medical room and having these strangers with my legs and the barristers and it's not just like, Um, you know, a pap smear where it's one doctor and or one nurse. um, It's like four people in the room. And then a whole separate person is um, dealing with the embryo, like, and someone else is watching a monitor. And, and the doctor, um, fertility doctors talk to me about how was the ride over? I heard the water is very choppy sometimes. Oh, we're having beautiful weather today. And, and they're playing classical music in the background. And I'm like, this is not, the like copulation (laughs) experience (laughs) and I'm joking with the intended parents about it um this is (laughs) that this is a very bizarre way to get pregnant um they haven't exactly set up the environment in any sort of way that that I I personally would have found comforting no thank you so to be then ushered out back into uh, the waiting room, which is really just like a lazy boy chair that reclines and has like a heater pad on it and that like close a curtain around. Um, And finally being able to go to the bathroom to relieve my bladder. And um, then to have this beautiful package arrive to the office and be delivered to me in my like cozy, warm waiting chair after I've just been implanted with an embryo Um, and to have the intended parents like on their pictures and videos, like crying and we're talking, um, we did a live chat after about like how happy we were and excited, um, that this package arrives with like chocolate covered fruit for me to enjoy while I wait the, the 20 minutes of sitting still after being implanted. Um, and it was just, it was an awesome experience. Uh, and then the journey home was quiet and peaceful and they went to bed. Cause in France, it was like 10 o'clock at night for uh, 12 o'clock at night by the time I was all done. So, um, then, then we played the torturous waiting game. Um, it was nine days before I was able to take a pregnancy test that would register. And so I'm able to go for blood work. Um, to register the pregnancy for certain uh, to check hormone levels but the intended parents and i also agreed to like set a time where i would take a like a urine stick test and many people were super confused about like how to do this over the phone um like are they gonna like what does that look like so we agreed on a time where i would like pee on a stick and then call them. And we would wait together over video chat for the, the stick to turn, like tell us whether we were negative or positive, whether we were pregnant together. um, And people like, for some reason, people think like they're going to watch you pee. Like, no, oh my God, it takes a few minutes. So after I go pee and pull up my pants and have my privacy, we will then I will then call them and we will wait together. So we had an assigned time where I would go to the bathroom when I got up in the morning and, and pee on a stick and then call them. And the the sad the sad news came as I was able to um, check in my my e-health and my um, my blood work uh, test results came back and I was able to check them before, like while we were waiting for the, for the pregnancy P stick test that the pregnancy had registered as nothing, that our first embryo transfer hadn't worked at all. So we had that huge special moment and we had had that beautiful day, like connecting and enjoying that experience together. And then the waiting game of the nine days was excruciating. um, and, um, also, you know, the, the, the excitement was, was then, you know, really, really hard to learn that we, both the blood work and the pee stick tests had told us that we weren't pregnant. It was devastating. Um, the guys, the guys were so sweet. Um, their, their reaction was, it's okay. It's no one's fault. You tried, we did our best. That happens sometimes. Like, don't worry about it. It's just one time. Um, you know, you've done so much for us already and they were extremely, they were more, I was trying to be there for them. And, um, I I hated being the deliverer of that news. It was so hard to, um, To have to tell someone that we weren't pregnant to tell intended parents not just one other partner but a whole set that ones who had been waiting for so long who had been trying so hard they'd had previous surrogates to me and not had positive results and to be the bearer of that news and for us to be together our silence was uh uncomfortable it was um on the phone to see the test results was, was, um, a sad, hard moment to share. So, um, I was, I was blessed that they were so kind about it and I took it really hard. You know, I did my days of crying that I wasn't pregnant and not pregnant for someone else. Um, especially after all the, the effort, um, all of the extra, you know, it's not just the playful sex in them though. Now, it ha- now, now we are great. Um, it was like a very dedicated regiment of hormones and drugs and um, like very particularly timed medical appointments um, to make sure everything was on task to set us up for success. And then to have not achieved that was a difficult process, especially for me, someone who really um, is a big prepper. And then for something to not follow through, like I love success and I work hard to get it. So to have so little control over that being not a success was tough. And we rolled out of that experience really fast where um, the question is, um, do you want to try again? And I'm asking them and they're asking me and I'm saying yes. And they're like, oh my God, let's go let's go. Of course. Um, and because I, I felt no reason to, to halt. I felt no reason to take a while to mull it over. There was nothing to think about. I was still dedicated to the journey and the, the contractual agreements between the surrogacy company and a surrogate is they will try twice, two embryo transfers with a surrogate within a span of twenty. Twelve months. So in twelve months, they'll do two embryo transfers, and then that surrogate needs to wait another twelve months before they will um, do an embryo, another embryo transfer with them. And so I'm like, let's let's go, let's do it. And we c- contacted the fertility clinic, we contacted the surrogacy company, and all three of us were just like, we're gonna go again. Like get to the next cycle. Let's see what happens. So. You know, there was a bit of the process of of me being bugged by the fertility company, you know, have you started bleeding again yet? Have you had your period? Have you blah blah blah? And I'm like, oh my god, I almost went through a point of being like, can I just have my body back for like a few months? Like I just went through all those hormones and all those invasive people poking around in my vagina and not in the ways I like. And to have to have so many people involved with my body and asking questions, I actually went through a small period of time where I'm like, I might take a break because I want my body back. And um, I, I decided otherwise, I decided to press on and press forward with that. Um, and I'm comfortable with that decision. Uh, my, the intended parents are very respectful. They, um, and they're also on the other side of the world, but the the medical side of it was sometimes very daunting and to go from my body preparing for pregnancy and then um, not gaining the pregnancy and then going into a second month right away of packing those hormones back into my body after they've never spent time leaving. So um, one of the other things was having progesterone um, prednisone, lower my immune system during the time. So having to be extra careful at, at one point I got a cold sore because my immune system was suppressed. And even though I wasn't stressed out, it's just my body reacted in interesting ways. Um, and then to go through the second, the second embryo transfer one, the lining check had to happen twice. So I had to make two trips over to the mainland to have my lining checked. Um, because my system had flushed out, all of the uterine lining from the previous one so um to go through that process again was a lot um but I don't regret it and then to have the second one um very very hinged um after the first I won't say failure but non-successful transfer and yeah it it played a lot with my mind um and at the time I'm still running my whole life. I'm still, um, like studying for certifications. I'm still, um, in an early dating relationship. I'm still, um, uh, running the girls, um, at home here and still building my business and, 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 um, and we're just gonna, and we're back up. Sorry. I had to switch for the, the podcast. Um, keep going through that process and to roll over into the next transfer so i had a very uh devastating experience at the last at the second transfer and i'll share this because i feel like it's valuable for the female crowd for anyone to have this this um story shared on the day of my second embryo transfer, which I believe was July 28th or 29th of 2020, um, I had to, I believe, drop girls off at preschool. Um, I had started July, I had launched my business on July 1st. I had decided to stop collecting CERB and start collecting my own income um, and and fully invest all my time and my energy into my business. And now I was working full-time and the girls were back at daycare, preschool, and um, my best friend and I are now full-time working moms with two girls in the home, uh, but with with childcare and me beginning my second round of a surrogacy adventure and also continuing my studies to gain further certification um, and, and a training gym schedule for myself, which is something I'm very dedicated to. Um, I'm beginning to collect personal training clients, I believe. I got hired at the local gym. So I I've begun with a clientele. I've started collecting recovery coaching clients and my life is very busy. And I also have a dating relationship on the side of that. So as I'm dropped girls off at preschool and headed to start my journey over to the mainland for my second embryo transfer, I'm really enjoying like having my day. I've You know, dolled myself up. I'm really. I'm going to enjoy my experience today. I'm going to feel beautiful, almost like I'm going on a date. You know, and I enjoyed that experience. And I had the intended parents with me there the whole time, um, on the other end of their phones, checking in with me and asking how I'm doing, and us having funny, chatty conversations. And to um, sit down at the, I believe, Sea Airplane Terminal. And to let the person I'm dating know like, hey, I'm finished my drive, I've arrived at the airport, like I, I can chat now. And to receive a text message back that says, don't bother. And his preceding messages to explain how he was angry with how little attention he had of mine and how busy I was and how poorly I treat him. And that, um, you know, he's not gonna tolerate it anymore. And for me to text back like, "Wow, I'm really sorry. It sounds like you're angry right now with me, and I'm I'm sorry for whatever that is." Um, so you know, message message me later when you do feel like talking. And I had to really, really control um, my experience that day to have someone else. I really wanted to kind of be in the peripheral of my experience of that day and part of my support system um, to reject me and um, tell me that they, that they were angry with me and to really place some negativity into an experience I was very excited about. So I, I managed my mind and I, set my intentions and i chose who i wanted to be and where i wanted to be which was present and to be in my day and to be in my experience and to um carry on with the joy i was going to have that day and as as i did and throughout my journey i did receive a few more text messages that were a further explanation that i was being dumped um and that i i was being berated i was being read the riot act on how i don't offer them enough time that they don't deserve to be treated that way no man would tolerate it and i had come to this point in my life where i make sure that who i'm dating um understands that i am very firm in my commitments um i i've worked hard to set to learn to set firm boundaries on what I'm committed to, what my values are, and who I am as a person. And I don't let other people, um, I don't allow interference in that unless I'm choosing it. So for someone to complain about choices and commitments and boundaries I've set in a relationship with me when I've clearly defined them already yes, it hurts. Yes, rejection hurts. Yes, being dumped hurts. Yes, being told that I'm shitty in a relationship hurts. Um, But I stood my ground. And I refuse to make compromises on the things that I value. And one thing I don't tolerate is having my time abused. So if I have multiple things going on, and someone I'm dating asks me, like, when can I see you? And I say, well, I've got gym and then I've got this and I've got that. And I have this, this many hours. I have this chunk of a window for us to get quality time together. And for them to be like, well, like, why do you need to go to the gym? Like, maybe you should skip this. Or like, can't you do that earlier? I'm like, no, no, that's not a thing. I I have a set schedule and this is where I have room to, to have you in my life in this way. Especially if you're a new person in my life, you You are not a best friend. You are not um, someone who's deeply connected into my ecosystem of people. You're not involved with my daughter yet. You're not involved with my best friend. Like you you get certain sections of my enjoyment recreation time. And other than that, like sorry, I'm not moving my life around for you. And yes, as people become more ingrained in my life, I'm able to I I commit to making adjustments for the people that I really, really care about that have earned those places in my life. And I, I respect that I need to earn that place in someone else's life. So when someone comes barging in and tells me that they don't fucking like the way I've organized them into my life, <laughs> that's my reaction to that. Um, so that second embryo transfer um, was a hard but beautiful day again. And it was very much like the first one where the intended parents were there um and the medical implantation was ridiculously awkward um and the classical music was there again and i'm like thank you but no thank you and afterwards um there's a great a great beautiful silence for me to have reverence and the intended parents went to bed and i carried on with my beautiful evening i came home i um I think I I think I gifted myself like a beautiful steak dinner, and um, then all we could do was wait, and that was that was the beginning of of where I'm at now. That was four months ago, and I I well I think we're gonna get a part six to this journey because man was have the last four months of my life been. Super interesting. (laughs) And I've had many more uh, bizarre surrogacy questions that I will be happy to share the insight and information and hilarity of with all of you. So over and out, and we'll see you next episode.